Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Greed from the 1990 album Repeater is a mysterious character from our listener community who goes by the pseudonym Seldom Careful. Sir, welcome to the show, and explain yourself. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ian. And actually, it's 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 relatively boring. Um, I decided to get off all social media years ago, sort of because of the uh, let's say the toxic impact it was having on my overall well-being, but uh, also a little bit because I started to resent the sort of insidious intrusion of corporations into our social lives and. I know we were all on there voluntarily giving information about ourselves, but it seems that we made maybe something of a mistake because uh, the companies behind these gigantic social media platforms have clearly misused the information we gave them in a way that has sort of had some dire consequences on the world at large. Um, but as it happens, I've since started working in the civil service in England and we're actively discouraged from having any sort of public persona. So it actually worked out well for me and we have to sign an agreement to be publicly non-partisan. So it's easier to sort of sidestep it by just using a pen name. And uh, I can't actually remember where Seldom Careful came from, but now it's started to suit me. <laughs> and I don't want to get rid of it because I've tremendously enjoyed participating in talking about music on uh, on your Facebook group, among other things. Yeah, it's been nice to have you participating. I think uh, just in my personal headcanon, I'm going to go ahead and imagine that you are working for MI6 and you're sort of like in between assassinations right now. Uh, that's <laughs> like, yeah, that's what's happening in my mind. Uh, in a weird way, you're almost tangentially correct. Um, I, I, my occupation is really humdrum, but I am um, sort of in the proximity of sensitive information and that's why I can't really have a public persona. The twist in this whole thing is that uh, I this whole podcast is a front and it's a <gasps> it's a counterintelligence operation uh, by the oh Russians and I'm like I'm under deep cover and trying to get you to reveal your identity and uh, and uh, yeah uh, this is you. an uh, unbelievably long con then because you've you've created this sort of large body of work um, so fair play I, I I doff my hat to you we work hard for the motherland. Uh, what can I say? Um, well, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll, I'll call you Dom for short, as you, uh, as you suggested. So, um, yep. Dom, can you tell me a little about your relationship with Fugazi, how you got started listening to them, and uh, your, I don't know, any stories from your fandom, anything like that? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, as you can probably tell, I'm from the UK, and uh, I first got into Fugazi after reading press about you know presumably what will prove to be their last album the argument um so i got into them like quite late in the day in terms of their discography pretty much as late as you can get in fact um but i i was really impressed by their ethos and the music was sort of different to other guitar music that i had heard and was a fan of and i just remember that that record came out just after the september the 11th attacks mm -hmm. and it was it was served to be sort of a soundtrack to that whole era for me and I, I guess you know most people obviously picture the World Trade Center collapsing in New York but of course a, a plane also struck the Pentagon in Arlington Virginia which is just across from the river from DC mm -hmm. and I remember listening to the the interlude to you know the argument the album and it's a, there's a, that sound at the beginning that sounds like air traffic control and it, I just remember thinking it was really spooky and evocative and there was that sort of captured the weird atmosphere that was permeating around at the time even though I didn't live in America I was it was just constantly you know rolling news was sort of a new thing at the time and just listening to what watching the images of like you know the wars that followed and it just seemed like a really prescient record um, particularly in the sense that it was sort of vehemently anti-war which was something I'd concurrently started to think about as a teenager as I was at the time um, and the next album I got was actually Repeater, and uh, and it sort of solidified, solidified them as one, if not my absolute favourite band. Um, and I, 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 by the only time I actually saw them live was in London in two thousand two. Um, uh, not their last show, was it? It was actually. I thought maybe it was, but it, I did some research today. It turned out to be their penultimate gig, 
which I didn't know. I I assumed there was another tour after this European tour, but I I saw them. Yeah, it was what ended up being their penultimate gig. Was that uh, the one? With, with, did uh, yeah. Q and Not You open? I was just about to say, yeah, that was it. Uh, um, Q and Not You, who are another of my absolute all-time favorite bands, and obviously uh, a couple of them have been guests on this podcast as well. So, um, but yeah, that, they were Fugazi were astonishing. Like I just remember being on the front row and not knowing where to look at any one moment because um, at this point they were obviously you know super lean from you know over a decade of touring and the musical relationship between the five musicians on stage as it was then seemed sort of supernatural and it set a bar for me that was outrageously high and uh, you know in terms of rock bands I can't really think of anyone that's come close um Maybe the Dutch bands, the X, but I can't really think of anyone else I've enjoyed as much as that show. And, you know, I was at the age where I must have been sort of 17, 18 or something. And you can imagine the impact it would have on you at that sort of age. It was really, I mean, it sounds so cliched, but it really was life changing for me Um, because they they arrived at a crucial time when I was sort of just finding a sense of self and having my own sort of thoughts around the same time about, you know, politics and ethics and stuff for the first time. And I think from listening to the various guests on this podcast, I felt that I'm obviously not alone in that because there's a lot of people from different parts of the world who encountered Fugazi around this sort of age or maybe a bit older. And and just, you know, it, it seems to have created, uh, you know, this sort of fan base of really interesting, thoughtful people. <laughs> and, yeah, it's it's been great listening to this podcast. And it's just, yeah... Well, thanks. I'm I'm glad you're getting something out of it for sure. That's um, it's it's very interesting to to get into Fugazi sort of that late, have chance to see them once, and then they're gone. Yeah. I, I'm, I guess in yeah. a way, it's a little disappointing, but in another way, you know, there there are people who got into them after they had I'm, the chance to do that. So yeah, I mean, it's a bit lucky. I guess they never had the opportunity to disappoint anyone, which is which is a good thing in a weird way. Um, because and and because of the Fugazi live series, and it seems like there's a new you know show popping up on YouTube all the time. It feels like they've never really gone away. I mean, you know, how long's it been since they played a show? You know, we've established. I mean, I guess it was 2002 or whatever. But you know, this podcast is a is a good example. It seems like they've just become more relevant, if anything. And so, even though they've stopped being an active pursuit, they're they're still their relevance is as strong as ever, really. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the discord uh fugazi live series website for the for the gig you saw it doesn't seem to be yeah. a recording up that's a shame um but it looks I like that mm. it seems like the, it's it indicates that it was recorded but uh, it's just not up online so who, who knows maybe you'll get a chance to uh, re-listen to that some yeah i hope so hmm. i hope so so today we are talking about greed it's uh just by way of introduction uh to get a few facts out there it's the shortest song on repeater it's clocking in at one minute 47 seconds so uh, a a little tight uh, jam you know for some reason i had always thought of this as as one of the minor fugazi songs um and i couldn't i couldn't immediately recall them when i was reminiscing about seeing fugazi play live I couldn't quite recall them ever playing it, um, but it turns out it, it wasn't a live rarity by any means. In fact, it was played at their very last show um, in London uh, the night after you saw them. So ah. um, aside from uh, those little facts, uh, I would like to give it to you, Dom. Do you have anything you'd like to say first? Uh, where should we start with talking about greed? It's an interesting one because, uh, like you said, uh, one of my first things that I thought of when, when it, you know, we decided on doing this song was that it, it is, you know, the shortest song. Maybe there's something on instrument which is a little bit shorter, but there's, there's the shortest song, I think it's like, a, you know, literally like an, a minute and 47 seconds or something. Which, yes, they, they do have, yeah. um, I mean, so Break In is a shorter song. Ah, yeah, um, ah, uh, good point. And I, yeah, I yeah. mean, I guess I was talking about Repeater as just the original um, ah, yeah. album. Yeah. But uh, yeah. also Back to Bass from Red Medicine is shorter. And ah. um, if you want to count it, the uh, yeah. track called Untitled from The Argument is the shortest song. Ah, yeah, which um, we spoke of earlier. Yeah. So yeah, but on, on the, as far as the original Repeater release, uh, yeah, uh, Greed is the shortest one. 
it's it's interesting because it's sort of in a in a way it's almost evocative of the sort of hardcore bands that the people in Fugazi played in before, um, particularly like Minor Threat. I mean, it doesn't sound like a Minor Threat song, but in terms of it having a very clear, concise point, it is sort of reminiscent of Minor Threat or you know the bands that you know Brendan Canty and Key played in before. Yeah. Clearly has hardcore it, DNA, I would say. Yeah, and there are only seven words in the whole song, <laughs> which is like particularly strange for Fugazi, who often have you know songs that are more detailed and metaphorical. And I was always thinking that sort of the the economy of lyrics and the the brevity of the song must have been intentional because Fugazi, everything they do seems really deliberate. Sure. In terms of their music and their overall ethos. And it's a really simple maxim, the concept that everything is related to greed. And but it's also like kind of undeniable. So why use more words? Because you've <laughs> you've basically you've said everything that needs to be said. So get in and out really quickly. And I wonder if that's why it's, you know, such a short song is because the, what more can you say? You know, <laughs> everything is greed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you search, if, yeah, if it's you interesting search for Ian to McKay to, and greed. Mm. Yeah, to, to call it a maxim, that's very interesting. It's also uh, the word that came to mind for me when I was thinking about this song and its lyrics is like um, a mantra, where yeah. you know something that's yeah. just repeated, um, and it's something to meditate on. And I guess when you repeat something and that causes you to meditate on it, it's you know it inspires you to think about well, uh, yeah. is it is it true? Is this is this mm. so? Like you, you tend not to simply um, take it on face value as much as you would yeah. in a different song. Um, you ask yourself, "What's what exactly is Ian saying here?" and mm. um, and do I agree? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, if you if you search for Ian Mackay and the word greed, the internet sort of lights up, <laughs> <laughs> and you can find him talking about it. You know the concept of greed at all stages of his career, for desperate want of a better word, and it seems to be a concept that he's given like a lot of thought to. Um, I have do I have want, done exactly yeah. this research. Um, I have some ah. quotes here if you want me to read them. I don't know if you wanted to do that. I was just going to say there was one particular quote, but now I want to hear if you came if you came across the, one of the same ones as me. So All right, you go let's, ahead. Let's see what I, the the prime one I found. Well, I found a couple that were interesting. One that I was going to mention in the intro, maybe, but I, I just chose not to. Was he's talking? He's actually talking about the song repeater, um, and it was this article just about the song. He's trying to remember uh, the, where. That started in the first live performance. He says, It's hard to pinpoint the very first live performance of the song Repeater. The earliest recording of the song in the archive appears in February of 1990, but the song likely debuted before that. Um, searching his memory, uh, Mackay recalls, Greed Magazine. Uh, Kurt Sienga used to edit it, and he did some graphics on some of the early records we did. He hosted a Greed Night. I have a recollection of us playing the entire Repeater album instrumentally. While I kept rather copious notes of the tour dates, I just didn't write some stuff down. I didn't know when it was, and it was unannounced, so there are no flyers. So that doesn't tie into this song specifically, but I thought yeah. it was of note. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely. not a. Apparently, I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia. Apparently, it was just like a. It only lasted for six issues, but it was. Uh, Greed magazine was sort of a thing from '86 to '89, which is like primary huh. formative Fugazi years. Yeah. So, uh, just just so, sort of a side note, but I thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, but the the one I was really going to say uh, related strongly to this song, an interview mm -hmm. uh, from the Independent, uh, uh, a, a publication from Your Fair Nation, in yep. 2002. He's talking about Discord, and he says, quote, What we do is supposed to be idealistic and untenable. Well, we've been here for 22 years. We employ full-time staff on full benefits, including health care. We own our own houses and have families. We're all alive and doing fine. The American theory of expansion insists that if a business isn't growing, it must be dying. That's just nonsense, an excuse for greed. I believe that you can set up an operation that is sustainable and makes you a living without shutting down the competition or trying to absorb everything else or doing things you disagree with 
or accepting money from any corporation or faith, or hiring out your product or personality to sell other products. People get lost in the gathering of money and believe that's the only way it can be done. The way we have operated is a clear example that this is incorrect. End quote. Was that yours? Yeah, that was one of the ones I read and did think about quite a lot. Um, But that wasn't the exact one that I picked out. And would you like to hear the one that I picked out? Please do, please do. Okay. Um, Obviously, uh, I'm not 100% sure when this is. uh, I think this was in the early 2000s. And to quote, it's Ian Mackay, obviously, who I assume wrote the lyrics for this one. Uh, He says, people are getting rich off of love and peace, and that's nothing new. You think that people are driven by greed, but I don't think that people even realize it. I don't think that it occurs to people that if there is a hundred of anything, they have 75 of those things, then that means that everyone else has 25 of those things. To me, it just seems obvious, but to them, it just seems that you're supposed to get as many of those things as you can get. End quote. Hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting thing thing for him to say because that's perhaps revealing a little bit more than you might commonly expect to hear from Ian Mackay even though obviously he probably gives interviews every day of his life so he's probably weighed (laughs) in on almost every subject but in terms of um, my relationship with this song and you know thinking about this song which you know doesn't doesn't have many lyrics the concept of it made me think an awful lot about a broader concept uh, that sort of crossed my mind about the nature of sort of late capitalism and that we're all sort of at the behest of what I believe is sort of a small handful of like wealth fixated people who are addicted to the pointless accumulation of money at like all costs. And if you think about uh, some early Fugazi songs from this era specifically, something like, I don't know, Shut the Door on the same album as Greed it's really not uncommon for them to talk about addiction, which is a a tangible ailment that anybody and probably all human beings suffer from, and that we're all addicted to any number of things, um, relatively benign things like sugar or caffeine and the internet and podcasts. Um, But then there's more, you know, arguably more serious things, you know, gambling, drugs, alcohol, etc., we probably all know people who suffered from these sort of addictions if we haven't ourselves. And there's loads of literature about the nature of addiction and how to deal with addicts. And there's a lot of talk in the sort of literature about addiction, about the concept of like rock bottom, which is like a point where the actions of an addict become so destructive that there might be something approaching like a a moment of clarity or people around them might stage an intervention but there doesn't really seem to be any such thing for if you're like addicted to the pointless accumulation of wealth beyond what you can spend in your lifetime right and because it's the, it's yeah. socially acceptable right yeah exactly and they they don't seem to face consequences they're, they're never really found accountable for their actions and despite the fact that like Ian Mackay said in that quote if you have x amount of something on some level, you're denying other people like really basic things. And yeah. you, it, to me, it seems like these people are sort of addicts without any real hope of rehabilitation. And we all sort of have to live in a world where they sort of incidentally have massive influence in just about every aspect of our lives. And that's what I think this song is really about. It really is that simple. Everything is greed. And Almost every problem and ill that we face in the world is on some level about money and by association also greed. That's a very astute observation. I mean, when you look at addiction and how society views it, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you think of, you know, I don't know, a crack addict on the corner, that is a person who society views as completely disposable, worse than disposable. I mean, there's a lot of hatred for addicts of that nature. Um, Yeah. But he's like, he's generally not affecting uh, your life in an adverse way, except for having to sort of walk past and avoid eye contact. And, Mm. you know, uh, but whereas, yeah, as you say, these people who are addicted to the accumulation of wealth, uh, they they are lauded and praised by society at large 
Yeah. Maybe because we all sort of suffer from it on some level. I don't mean to say literally all of us, it's an unfair generalisation, but I feel like just our participation in society at the moment, to a degree, mm-hmm. we probably all, all have it influence us more than we like to admit or care to admit. Yeah. And that, that's, that this, like I said, the song's seven words, but it's undeniable. <laughs> and yeah, if you think of a song, like I said, you know, Shut the Door, or, you know, from what you said, it made instantly made me think of Glue Man, which is an earlier song. Right, and you know that that that's a person struggling with an addiction, and even the presentation of that person in the song is sort of you know different. Like you said, it's sort of um, you know someone that's got lost in their addiction, and yeah, it's 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 a subject that comes up over and over again. I think in early Fugazi songs, and when 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 you think about this song as also being sort of about you know addiction and about greed, you know it can be yeah. greed for money, it can be greed for you know, drugs, other forms of excess. Well, so it, and of, it's, and of it's course, continuity. Yeah. Another angle to that is, I mean, if you're comparing it with drug addiction, um, mm. like I'm, I'm not addicted to crack even a little bit. Like not even a tiny <laughs> bit. I've never even had it. So I'm the yeah. furthest thing in the world from addicted to crack. But, but money. Um, a lot of people yeah. are at least a little bit addicted to money. I would say most of people course. like the yeah. the acquisition of of cash is uh, is universal um so yeah yeah there's some people at the very top who are uh, who have been very successful at accumulating money and that has allowed their sort of sickness to run wild um but it's something that is is hard for people at large to look down on because there is some form of that in almost all of us Exactly, and it, I always I always think this back. This pops up in my mind all the time. Often when I'm thinking about, you know, discussions that go on on in your Facebook group to do with your podcast, and uh, I, there's this image, there's this scene from um, from Jem Cohen's amazing film Instrument, where uh, it's clearly after a show that Fugazi have played, and Ian is going through presumably with the venue owner or the promoter, like the costs of the venue and etc. And he's like, uh, they're, they're literally visibly dealing with stacks and stacks of presumably $5 bills or whatever right. to distribute, you know, the money for the evening. And then it zooms in on this book. I'm not sure what it is. And the open page of the book just says the word purgatory. And I, I always think, obviously, that's, you know, I'm sure Jem Cohen shot hours of footage. So it's there very deliberately. Yeah. And I always think that it's sort of like, it seems weird because it's Fagazi having to deal with this thing that they, you know, are so obviously uncomfortable with dealing with. And I always just think of that moment in time. It's sort of like that even they, even Fagazi, have to participate on some level with this cycle of sort of, you know, needing money, so to speak. So it's interesting based on what you just said, because you're right, even Fagazi, you know, they had to deal with the financial aspect of being in a band at some point. And even though it's distasteful, it's still there. It's yeah. always there. And of course, I mean, yeah, I'm not even sure there's so much discomfort because obviously mm. they and Ian Mackay in particular is a businessman and a, and a very and a good businessman, which is not to say mm. that he is greedy. He's like the opposite of that. No. But for, no. for sort of his goals and trying to sort of make a carve out a small living for himself and yeah. and the 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 sort of people in his immediate orbit like on discord records and his bandmates um yeah. they he he has come up with a way of of making a living for everybody without yeah without trying to be this crazy like acquisitive yeah. demon <laughs> yeah. um so and he's he seems like he's always been quite good at it he has he has it yeah. f- all figured out like he's i I don't have a quote for this, but he's explained it before how, you know, so, some bands, you know, the venues dictate the ticket prices and the the band gets some sort of guarantee of like a X amount of mm-hmm. money, whereas yeah. Fugazi operated on percentages, right? And it's like, well, yeah. um, if, if a lot of people come to the show and they do really well, then everyone makes more. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah they, they sort of keep it simple in a way that, you know, maybe they, they could be making more money, but... They are. They end up being more comfortable the way they're doing it. Um, at least in the early days, they didn't hire security, right? They they sort of depended on uh, themselves yeah. and the crowd to police themselves and each other and make sure mm. uh, everybody was being cool. So they had all these ways to operate and and make a nice little living without 
without gouging, you know, ticket prices, yeah. without yeah. cheating any of their sort of people they did business with. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's very um, complex and interesting counterexample to the way we normally think of business yeah. being done in the modern yeah. world. Because because you know charging five dollars for shows, you know I remember I remember I think I read a thing I assume it was Ian saying that one of the main reasons they decided on five dollars it was just literally because if a hundred people came to see them then they know it's five hundred dollars. It was literally that <laughs> matter of fact. And workmanlike in terms of like it was just to keep the math simple, which is remarkable. But that I do think that he thinks of what he does, including with Discord Records. I'm talking about Ian Mackay. Um, I think he thinks of it as work. And I, I'd imagine at some point that you're going to speak to him if you haven't already regarding this podcast. <laughs> and I, I'd be curious as to what his response would be if you deigned to refer to him as a businessman even it being a compliment i feel like he would recoil from that <laughs> uh, it's certainly not the first descriptor that i would use to, to describe yeah. <laughs> but yeah as, as somebody who has co-founded a business and is is like an yeah. entrepreneur in that way i think it's Absolutely. it's plain that that he is yeah. in that way uh, it, mm-hmm. it conjures up some yeah. connotations that might be unpleasant um yeah yeah speaking it of which removes, yeah um I was I was going to ask you, have you ever seen the film Wall Street? I don't believe I have. There's I I was thinking about this song and it made me think of some um so some of the more greedy characters in literature and film. Um I uh-huh. actually have never seen Wall Street either, but it's one of these films that has permeated yes. the culture enough that I know about it. There's a great clip online that I'll I'll put in mm. the show notes. There's a character Gordon Gecko and mm. he he has this very famous speech that he delivers where he talks about how greed is good and it's sort of a catchphrase that really took off in the yeah. in the Reagan era and is is something yeah. that is used as a touchstone to sort of like describe the mindset of the Reagan era in the United absolutely. States um, absolutely yeah it's 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 a very interesting little speech because he he it's on the surface it's a persuasive speech he's talking about how uh, you know, greed is is good. It spurs these like achievements, advancements, blah blah blah. But mm. he's but he's clearly like a sort of satanic figure in that he is. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's clear from just from watching the clip. I haven't even seen the whole film, but it's clear that he's sort of like twisting the facts to make like to make the crooked seem straight, as it were. Um, so uh, that's that's a nice little por- point of reference. Um, yeah. And to go on with yeah. that, as I was thinking about some uh, notable greedy characters, uh, we've got Ebenezer Scrooge and and his uh, <laughs> his uh, inspiration, Scrooge McDuck. Um, uh, there's uh, Smaug from Lord of the Rings. There's uh, <laughs> Shylock from Merchant of Venice. Citizen Kane uh, comes to mind, Charles Foster Kane. And they're, they're mm. all sort of different explorations of this uh the concepts of greed and i guess how they negatively affect their lives none of these yeah none of these characters yeah. are happy characters i would say except yeah. maybe scrooge mcduck you know he has nephews yeah who love he him seems and okay yeah <laughs> i i often it's interesting you brought that up because i hadn't thought about this but that, that's actually a really good point and i often think about that the sort of a scene towards the end of that the film chinatown where uh, Jack, Jack Nicholson's um, character asks um, uh, the sort of the main villain of the of the film, like, you know, what's the point? Like, why do you need more money? How much better can you eat? Like, hmm. what 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 could you possibly need that you don't already have because you're fantastically wealthy? And that that sort of strikes strikes me sometimes as being like, because I try and get in the mindset of people who are sort of, like like I said, just seem to need more money than they could possibly spend or their children's children could spend. Mm-hmm. And I often think about that, just sort of like, how much better can your life be? Do, do you, what can't you already afford? Do you really need more money? <laughs> this is something I think I may have referred to in the episode for break. I don't exactly remember, but um, mm. I, I looked it up again. There's a 20... 20- 10, from from the year 2010, Princeton University did this study on sort of happiness and wealth, and yeah. the the basic finding is that 
there is a correlation between happiness and wealth up to a point of about uh, 75,000 US dollars per year. Um, and when people make more money than that, their happiness doesn't actually increase. Uh, like uh-huh. if, if their income is lower than that, sort of the worst, the worst they feel. But yeah, it, it turns out in terms of actual happiness, um, you can you can have multiple millions of dollars coming in per year, and you will not actually be happier. Um, Interesting. On average. Wow, and that's that. You know, that's there's a scientific element to that. It's not just anecdotal. That's yeah. <laughs> that seems pretty clear. It seems like on some level you have basically provided information that proves that fundamentally everything is greed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's another thing that uh, resonates with the concept of addiction. Um, of course, mm. at you, you probably you'd be easy to say drug addicts are not happy, right? They no, um, they're maybe happy for a minute um, after they yeah, you know, when they score and then they go back to sort of having a kind of miserable life this uh yeah. having this thing Could, controlling them because addiction is like a medical condition right like it's it's at the very minimum it's a psychological condition like it's an ailment <laughs> i say so, yeah another interesting thing i found is that so i was looking up if there was anything interesting to be found in the etymology of the word greed and mm. our, our good friend, the German language, comes to the rescue. German's such a great language. And it apparently is. they have several words that, that kind of mean greed. One of them is particularly interesting. So if you'll pardon my pronunciation, I think it's Habsucht, which means, like, basically breaks down into having and sickness. So, like, a, a, ah. a sickness for having things. Right, which, yeah. Which is a... Uh, a fascinating way of thinking about the concept yeah. of greed. It's yeah. yeah, like you have this this permanent illness, exactly like you were yeah. saying. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because I, you know, sometimes when I'm you know writing something on a Facebook group or another about music, and I I find myself like using a German loan word, which mm-hmm. I think is quite rightfully considered to be pretentious, but it's often <laughs> because the Germ the German language has these words that are so evocative and so perfect, even if they've just had to push two words together, and that's a fantastic example. That's that's a that's a really good fact. I like that a lot. Yeah, I liked it too. Mm. Um, what one other reference that this song brings to mind, uh, especially the ends, right? The the phrase "everything is greed." It mm. it brought back to mind in college. I took this like intro to philosophy class. I or. I took a couple of philosophy classes. I'm not sure which one it was, but uh-huh. one thing that I remember coming up with uh, that I remember coming up in this course was the question of whether it is possible to behave altruistically. So mm. there, there is a philosophical argument that, well, everything, in fact, is greed because um, is, it's, it's impossible to act in a way that does not benefit you in some way. Like even yeah. if you do something that seems entirely selfless, well, you're probably doing it because that makes you happy. So, yeah. so in fact, like by this line of reasoning, um, everything is maybe not greed, but everything is selfishness. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's something they I remember they sort of had the class think about and, and try to tackle as a, as a bit of a thorny paradox. Yeah, yeah. It does make it does make you think about the concept from sort of, sort of a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure if if it was from some like famous philosopher talking about it. I think mm. I think more or less the uh, a conclusion that was reached is that well, if you if you talk about um, selfishness and altruism in those terms, then what you have done in fact is obviate those concepts as words, right? Like if in fact everything is greed, then there's no such thing as greed, right? It's it becomes like a um, uh, a tautology to say that something is greed. If everything is greed, right? We we only have these words and these definitions because not everything meets them, and if everything did meet them, there'd be no use for the word. So um, that's that's sort of a an interesting way of rebutting that line of thinking. Yeah, um, yeah, is that you have you have to draw the line somewhere for for words to have meaning. Um, but I fear we may be getting off track. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> little little yeah. bit of philosophy, though, as uh, as, as somebody mm. who didn't major in that uh, subject. Yeah, or anything, yeah. I'm I'm always 
fascinated by it and it, I can only get into it yeah, so much before yeah. it starts blowing my no, mind and making me feel stupid. Abso- absolutely. I, I always like it when, uh, when there's sort of a philosophical or um, element to it or sort of you manage to link it to poetry in some way, though I think this one's probably a little bit harder to do so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even consider that. Um, I'll have yeah. to... <laughs> If, if it, anything comes to mind, it, I'll let you know, though. Yeah. <laughs> As a, I wonder if there are many seven-word poems. I really wish I'd done some research into that now, but the thought didn't occur to me. <laughs> well, I'm sure some haiku get into those. Ah, of course. <laughs> sort of, of into course. that range. I don't know. Yeah. Um, let's see. We haven't talked about the the music to this the music, much. Yes. Do you have any yeah. uh, main thoughts on that? It, it's sort of, like I said, I mean... It is probably the Fugazi song, apart from maybe Break In, another short abrasive song. Um, oh, I guess Great Cop is another one that is the most uh, sort of evocative of hardcore punk. But it's also different because it has those sort of classic Fugazi attention-grabbing drops into silence every so often. Um, but it, it, it's, you know, the song is relatively simple as befits the simplicity of the words. And I think it's pretty effective in underlining what is a simple message. Yeah, it seems to be. I'm, so in the intro, it's um, I believe they're like octave chords, which are, are not mm. proper chords, just like sort of two notes an octave apart that they're playing on guitar with distortion. Um, and and yeah, these little gaps, as you say, in between them. Um so we have the the intro. I think it does that four times, and uh, you've got Ian sort of doing like little up strums, making harmonics on his guitar. These little ching 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 ching. And then then it becomes a little bit more of a of almost a improvisational style jam. Yeah, which, that's right. Which I think that's where I see the main value in this song is mm. the interesting little things they're doing there. Um, yeah, it, musically speaking, there's so yeah, there are these gaps. Sometimes it's just silence. Sometimes it is a little drum groove. Sometimes mm. it is uh, Guy and or Ian doing some little nonsense on the guitar, like little interesting sounds. And then finally, it's like a it's a drum roll that brings us into the the main song. Um, so yeah, that's uh, as you say, it's it's a very simple song. That that is, yeah. I would say, the most interesting part of it. Yeah. Did, were you able to ascertain in the listens whether or not you think that both Ian and Guy are singing on this song? I was wondering, I think I can hear Guy on there, but yeah, I, I was wondering so. if maybe it's, so. yeah, I was wondering if Ian was double tracked maybe, but I think I can hear him on there. Yeah, I I believe, yeah, Guy's voice is maybe mixed uh, a bit lower, but I'm yeah. pretty sure he's doing backups there. Yeah. It, it it really is like a simple short song, <laughs> which makes you think that like you know it's like I said there's there's very I, I'd imagine there's very few accidents with Fagazi like it seems like it was deliberately done it's sort of like a a bridge track in a weird way between two other songs. Yeah, that's that's probably a good way to think of it. Um, mm. They yeah they famously really came up with the music first and it was i think ian has explained this before in interviews as in like they're they're sort of creating these songs musically and he has an idea of what they're about and simply musically they are communicating something but then Mm -hmm. to sort of present them to the world um for the most part he feels he has to add words to it so that other people will sort of understand what the song is communicating in his mind yes um, that makes sense. Of course, yeah. there there are instrumentals famously that Fugazi did, but I think yeah, by and large, it's uh, I, the the real soul of the song is simply the music, and then Ian is using the vocals to I don't know just just make it more intelligible to uh, somebody who is not as connected to the music as as the guys are. Yeah, yeah, and you, you've got to find a way to sort of communicate that, and you know. Um, if this was just an instrumental, it would be a nice instrumental, I guess. But um, just sort of the addition of, as we said, seven words, it changes your relationship to the music. And, you know, it's it's a little bit repetitive for a 107 second song. But um, <laughs> that that sort of, you know, that that thematically was sort of ties in with the whole record. Like, again, you know, the title repeater, it is perfect for that album for so many reasons and 
you know, the song's a good example because it really drives the point home in sort of a, a brief fashion. Well, um, do you think now is a good time to talk about ratings? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? I think so. I think we'll have to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so for, for those of you who are just joining us and haven't listened to previous episodes, I like to ask my guests to... Uh, rate the song we're discussing on a scale of one to five stars, but in the context of the Fugazi catalog. So from like their their least favorite Fugazi song to most favorite. So, uh, Dom, what do you think? One to five stars for Greed. Yeah, this is always the part that I'm always sort of fascinated by in the podcast, among other things. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who quite fairly are sort of like, you know, Fugazi were a really good band, and even their not particularly good songs probably are better than a lot of, you know, rock songs that you're likely to hear. And you have to sort of say, you know, all Fugazi songs are very good, but if we're being absolutely honest with ourselves, this is not a great song in the whole discography of Fugazi. Um, As long as we're trying to be objective... Uh, I can say that it's very concise. It makes a really compelling argument. Um, but it's also probably sort of the slightest song on a record that is otherwise very impressive. And I like it in the context of an album, but I probably wouldn't play this song to someone to try to get them interested in the band. <laughs> right. unless, unless maybe they were like being weaned off hardcore punk. <laughs> and and then you might be like, but listen to this, you know, it's it's got sort of the similar sort of thing to it. Um, and I always think of Fugazi as having different stages as a band for me. And um, I love all of their music, you know. Um, but I think that, I honestly think that the first handful of recordings only sort of hinted at the band that they would become later on. Mm-hmm. I actually think once they had a bit of a break and became more... Uh, sort of reflective in the studio and they stretched themselves out and they started exploring other ideas I thought they became that's when they became one of you know one of the great rock bands of their era if not the best and so I'm always a little bit prone to rating the stuff from sort of 13 songs repeater steady diet a little bit less than I because the later songs I find it hard to find any songs that I don't absolutely adore even songs that people, big Fugazi fans, often have trouble with because they were experimenting, so to speak. Um, but I think I would have to say that I think two stars, two out of five, is fair for this. Not because it's bad, but just for all the reasons I said. It's it's there and it's gone. And it, although it's a very thought-provoking song, considering the economy of it... Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, it's not a great Fugazi song in the grand scheme of Fugazi, though it is also a very good song. Well, very bold coming on a Fugazi podcast and giving two stars. I don't think I have yeah. had a guest yet who has uh, yeah who has had the on, gall on, to do such a thing. Yeah, um, on on a and also I chose the song <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it seems it seems weird, doesn't it? it no, but I I, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's weird. Uh, I myself, yeah, for all the reasons that you said, I am going to give my first one star of the podcast. Wow! Um, wow! It's yeah. Uh, the caveats being, yeah. Originally, my impression was, yeah, I I just don't really care for this song much. Although, mm. as has been said with Fugazi in the past, it was really about, and this is how the band felt. It's really about the live show and. The yes. records were a bit yeah. of an afterthought. And mm-hmm. to, to go on YouTube and look at uh, live versions of this song, you can see, you see the value, right? It's much more apparent there um, than on the record. Like, uh, yeah, so I kind of feel, um, yeah, just as a song on the record, it's, it's a bit disposable compared to everything yeah. else Fugazi did. Mm. Um, I do like, I, I almost feel like the way we were talking before about uh, how it probably evolved, um, I almost feel this would be better if they had kept it as purely a bit of improvisation. I love the, the interplay between yeah. like when they pause and almost give like a tiny little solo to 
to Brendan. I, I wish, I kind of wish they had done that. Like it could be the part of the show yeah. where they do that. Yeah. And like they all take turns doing a little solo thing on their instrument. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And uh, they probably did that when they played it live. I, I didn't get the opportunity to listen to any recordings of this song, but I'd imagine that they, them being Fugazi, they would take the opportunity to maybe stretch it out a little bit. If they yes. Did play it. Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, it, yeah. it was not, it was not sort of the same thing every time. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that's by, by way of saying, I think that's the real value of this song. I, I like it in that context. I think um, yeah. if, you know, for them to play it at a show, you'd be excited. You'd be dancing around. It's, it can be very high energy. Um, but yeah, yeah, as a recorded song, it's, it's like bottom tier for me. Um, yeah, it does say something though, doesn't it? Because, you know, even this song which has, you know, is, is there and gone. It's, it's, as we said, like, I've rated it two stars, you've rated it one. <laughs> but we, I feel like even though we've talked about it for a long time, we could probably talk about it for even longer. And it just goes to show sort of how special they were as a band, that one of their ostensibly lesser songs, you can still talk about it for a very long time and feel like you've only just scratched the surface of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel... I felt that way with most of the episodes I've done. I sort of get to the end and either mm. after I'm finished recording it or after I release it and hear some comments yeah. from people who listen to it, I realize, yeah, yeah you could you could do a whole second episode uh, on this. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe somebody yeah. will come along behind me and, and do the whole thing over again and uh, <laughs> pick, pick up the scraps that I left for them. Uh, because I'm such a big fan of this podcast and it's been enormously... Um, great for me to revisit all these songs as i'm listening to the episodes and it's it's been great you know for commutes and when i'm at work and that sort of thing i sort of hope that person would be you and you'd have to go through these songs again but somehow the band is with you <laughs> well that's a wild fantasy <laughs> i don't know if that's gonna happen can you imagine though <laughs> yeah every 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 uh, podcast would be fascinating but i think it would uh it'd be rather longer <laughs> or very short who knows if it was if it was a gee song you probably wouldn't be able to get him to talk about it at all so right right yeah um well usually we have a little segment called plugs and uh I, ass- I assume since you are participating anonymously, you will, you will have a limited selection of things to choose from as far as telling people where to find you and check you out. But uh, I understand yeah. you're going to be a guest on another podcast. So, um, yeah, anything like that that you'd like to mention and, uh, and plug for the future? Ah, uh, <laughs> that is true. Um, in fact, just after this, I'm, you know, in theory, recording an interview uh, for a podcast called uh, End on End. Um and that is a podcast about the various releases by Discord Records, which is, of course, the record label started by Ian Mackay and Jeff Nelson. And, um, yeah, um, I enjoyed listening to that podcast as well because it's also it's revisiting uh, a lot of records and songs and releases by lots of Discord bands that I love almost as much as Fugazi. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of finding me, you'll... you'll see somebody called seldom careful often talking about fagazi or other discord bands in niche interest facebook groups and nowhere else (laughs) (laughs) which is fine by me because um it's you know it's it's scratching an itch for me and i'm delighted in talking about these things with other people but i will say actually uh the bands that i'm ostensibly talking about on the end on end podcast uh after this is a band called Lungfish. And uh, uh, I'd imagine there's a lot of crossover of audience between Fugazi and Lungfish. And um, I, I think this sounds like a strange thing because I've, I've plugged another podcast on your podcast, but I'm also going to plug another band on a podcast about one band. So I recommend people check out the amazing discography of the band Lungfish, who are also on Discord Records. And the thing they have in common with Fugazi is that they also seem to get better as they went on. And while Fugazi were a huge influence on me, and I'm sure a lot of people, in terms of my attitude towards sort of social political matters, Lungfish were and continue to be this sort of massive presence in terms of, I guess, how I relate to the world at large and to a degree sort of philosophically and spirituality sort of basis 
And uh, I often, when I'm not typing about Fugazi on your Facebook group or, you know, another Facebook group about Fugazi, um, I'm often found in a Facebook group called the Lungfish Appreciation Society. And uh, I'm typing furiously at anyone who cares to talk about the majesty of lungfish uh, just as much as I like typing at people about the majesty of Fugazi. So, uh, yeah, end on end on end podcast and uh, the band Lungfish. Those are my plugs. <laughs> Great plugs. So if if there is somebody out there who has never listened to Lungfish, um, yes, why don't could you name one song to get them started? Oh, uh, yes. And there is a Fugazi connection here. In fact, there's, there's a few different songs that have a Fugazi connection, in fact, because as well as being label mates, um, they, uh, Ian Mackay produced all of their albums. Um, but there is a song uh, on my very favorite Lungfish album that is called Instrument. Mm-hmm. And I often think about one day I'm going to do it and everyone will hopefully realize that I'm being mischievous, but I'd like to have a poll on who thinks the Fugazi song instrument is better than the Lungfish song instrument. And I think it's very close. I'm not going to tell you which way I think, but um, yeah, the song Instrument by Lungfish, it's, uh, it's, it's, very, it's, it's a great song. And uh, yeah, the album it's on, Rainbows from Atoms, I cannot um, recommend that record enough. It's fantastic. That's brilliant. I, I am almost tempted to uh, put up a poll on the uh, on our Facebook page uh, to answer that question, although I feel that would be an unfair venue uh, in which to yes. do that. So, we can um, synchronize it. Yeah, yeah. We, You can put one up on, on, uh, on the Fugazi Appreciation Society page, and uh, I'll put one up on the Longfish Appreciation Society, and we'll see. We'll have it out. We'll see what happens. All right. Well... Uh, that that's a pretty good segue into my plugs, which are as always. You could uh, yeah go to that Facebook group that's called the Alphabetical Fugazi, and you can talk about any and all of the songs that uh, I talk about on this podcast, both before and after the fact uh, of me recording the episode. So you get a chance to have your comments in there. Um, there weren't there weren't too many comments for this one, so I just sort of skipped over uh, for greed. But fear not, in the future. You may have the chance to have your comments included on this podcast. You can also email me at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com. And uh, otherwise, I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Guilford Fall. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last